It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is June 11th, 2019. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we'll talk about game five of the NBA Finals, the uh, terrible emotions, the exhilarating finish, everything about it as we look ahead to Thursday's Game 6 as the NBA Finals continue with Golden State's victory. We'll also talk about the big workout the Magic had over at the Amway Center on Monday as two of the Magics, or two of the people that many believe the Magic are targeting in Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Tyler Hero were at the Amway Center for a workout. We'll, We'll hear from them a little bit later on in the show. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching on iTunes for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like there's a podcast covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast for every single team in the NBA covering whatever's going on with their team at any point in the season. It is the NBA Finals still. Locked On Warriors and Locked On Raptors have you covered with everything about the NBA Finals. They do not know those teams as well, uh, 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 they know those teams a lot better than I know those teams. So I can comment as an outside observer, and it's the NBA Finals, and, and it's important that we actually crown a champion in this league. It's not all about the free agency, despite what uh, a lot of people will tell you. Um, they know those teams so much better, and the detail that they can provide you is a whole lot better. So if you like my finals analysis, then you should definitely check out Locked On Warriors and Locked On Raptors to get a full perspective on the NBA Finals, especially ahead of Game 6 on Thursday night. You can always find the National Perspective, too, from Locked On NBA, from Locked On Podcast hosts on Locked On NBA. And yes, Fantasy Basketball still goes on. Locked On Fantasy Basketball has you covered there, too. You can find all these great podcasts, plus NFL, MLB, and colleges, too, by searching for them on Locked On, with the team you're looking for, on iTunes, or check them out on the Himalaya app. The Himalaya app is a new podcast app that allows you to follow your favorite podcasts, create playlists of your favorite podcasts, and discover new podcasts with personally curated podcast suggestion lists. You can find all your favorite podcasts from news to to uh, to TV to anything. Uh, that There's some weird podcasts out there, and I will admit I listen to a few oddball podcasts. You can find all your favorite podcasts there and discover new ones too. Check it out, the Himalaya app. Download it wherever you download apps today. Let's start by, I guess, ripping off the Band-Aid. Um, the, obviously, the Golden State Warriors played a fantastic game. Um, uh, you know, a really gutsy, gritty game in, in Game 5, defeating the Toronto Raptors 106-105 to extend the series back to Oakland for Game 6 on Thursday. It was a grimy, gutty game that, that you would expect the Toronto Raptors to win. It's not, the game that, not a game that the Warriors would lose, but... Throughout the entire game, it felt like 
the Raptors were always going to come back and the Raptors were always going to win. Uh, and in fact, that, that's almost what happened. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But obviously the big story was Kevin Durant's return and eventual departure from the game. As I sit here recording, and I apologize for the late recording, as I sit here recording at about 10.30 in the morning, the news has not yet come out about what Kevin Durant's ultimate injury is. He's, he's expected to undergo an MRI. Uh, but judging by what general manager Bob Myers had to say after the game, you know, saying it is a hamstring issue, and the emotion that was felt among all the players, it's hard not to fear the worst. There is a video uh, 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 circulating around. I think ESPN even retweeted it or tweeted it out of a zoomed up look at Durant's leg as he made that move in the early second quarter. And you can clearly see something in the back of his leg like move that probably shouldn't move. And once it does, Durant stops. So it's, it's easy to fear the worst right now. Um, and, and, and all the emotion suggests that it's it's not going to be good for one of the best players in the league. And there's a lot wrapped up into this. And, and I don't want to get too deep into, into it. Um, you know, Durant has been out since game five of the second round uh, with what was characterized as a calf strain. But a lot of us assumed it was a hamstring issue or, or, or something to do with that. Just by the way he reacted to that initial injury. And the hope was that he would be able to return by the NBA Finals and, and was making progress and, and was going through practice. Um, you know, by, by all accounts, he cleared all the medical benchmarks. And, you know, the fact is, knowing Kevin Durant, he is a guy that wants to play. All this narrative that he was quitting on his teammates, that, that he, was, he had one foot out the door, that's not Kevin Durant. Durant lives to play basketball. And all that other stuff is just noise. He wanted to play. He, he, he has agency in this too. But, but there are certainly questions about whether, you know, the Warriors wanted to push him back because, you know, yes, they, they, they held him out until it was absolutely necessary that they, ha- that they be at full force. He was sort of the Hail Mary to, to get a win and extend this series. All those questions will get answered. And, and, I, and I do think, and, and I, I, mean, I can even discuss some, some magic issues that, that I know about, that, you know, there is still, I think, a, 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 a poor culture around sports that tells athletes, even when they're very seriously hurt or, or facing minor injuries that can become more serious, that you play through it. And whether a player wants to do that or not, and that's their decision ultimately. And I think that's important to say. It's ultimately the player's decision whether he plays or not. Always, forever, and and no one should ever question that decision. So I don't want to sit here and and talk about whose fault it was that Durant played or Durant got hurt. Because frankly, the injury was random. There might have been warning signs, there might have been everything else, but the fact of the matter is, Durant wanted to play. Warriors doctors cleared him, and he played. If nothing would have happened, everyone would have been celebrating Durant, you know, for for gutting through it. I mean, Kevin Kevin Looney's playing with a broken with a with a broken collarbone, and he got taken out of Game Five too because because the pain became too much. Uh, doctors have apparently told him that the injury can't get worse. 
But ultimately, these are player medical decisions. These are medical decisions that belong to the player and the player alone. Now, again, you, you can question maybe the motives of the team's training staff. And, and I, I am someone who always believes players should get their own people, get their own kind of independent people. Um, that's, that's kind of what happened with Dwight Howard and what ultimately led to his departure. Um, but, you know, you see this a lot too. There, there's a lot of pressure culturally for these players to play through injuries, to, to come back sooner than, than they're probably ready to come back to help their team. That's honestly the approach that nearly killed Grant Hill. I, I, I truly believe Grant Hill's injury in Orlando was made worse because he was too determined to play and didn't take the time to sit back and truly heal up. And, you know, I think some of it was the culture back then was, was less medically savvy than they are now. Um, you know, the, the, the Kawhi Leonard, I think, said that he credits the, the load management that Toronto did with getting him through the season. He was appreciative of how Toronto managed him. And guess what, guys? That load management's not going anywhere. And frankly, I think it's an okay thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. As much as I think it sucks for certain elements, but I don't think it's a bad thing for, for the league or for players, for sure. And so, you know, the, the main emotion following Game 5 was, this sucks. Frank, that, that, that's, that's it. We witnessed one of the best players, honestly, in league history. And I'm not going to debate whether he's in the top 10 or not, but but he is, Kevin Durant is one of the most unique and most gifted players in league history. He is already a surefire Hall of Famer. And if his career continued continues, which it will, you know, he certainly would have an argument to be among the elite of the elite. But we watched the trajectory of his career change last night, one way or another. This is obviously a summer of big free agency, which is the least of anyone's concerns. But even the offseason, how has completely changed. And frankly, as, as I thought would be the case, Durant really did have a big positive effect on the game. I mean, obviously, Golden State was a team best plus six with Durant on the floor, which, again, individual plus minus in a, ga- in a single game, take it for what you will. But he scored 11 points, made all three of his three-pointers, three-for-five shooting, was solid. And most importantly, Toronto had to respect him enough to commit a big body to him. And that freed up Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to get themselves going. Steph, Steph Curry had, I think, 23 of his 31 in the first half. And I do think that that was a direct effect of having Durant on the floor. Because now you can't hide a Kyle Lowry on 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 Andre Godala or whoever. Now you got to commit a Kawhi Leonard, a Pascal Siakam, or Serge Ibaka onto him. But again, the finals are the least of the concern right now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I unfortunately, if I'm going to discuss the finals, I cannot lead with the actual result of the game, and that's the part that sucks the most. But this is big. This is, A, bigger than basketball because, uh, you know, a, a, a human being was seriously hurt, it, it looks like. And there's a lot, of, honestly, you know, I, I'm thinking about this and I don't want to dive too deep into this, but there are a lot of parallels 
between how we've discussed athletes and how we discuss medical decisions of, of other people in, in our society today. You know, I, I, I do believe that, that, that sports is a reflection of society in a lot of ways. And that a lot of the issues that we deal with in larger society and bigger societal battles, we deal with on the court first. And I think this is a big, I think this is akin to a lot of the things that we're discussing societally right now. Who has the ultimate authority? Who has the ultimate decision to make medical choices? And who can criticize those medical choices? Personally, you know, unless someone was hiding information or giving the patient wrong information, this is nobody's fault. Durant wanted to play. Ultimately, it was his decision to play. If he's given bad information, then he made a, he was, obviously, that's a problem. That's a bigger problem than anything else. But everyone who's racing out to say, oh, this is the Warriors' fault, he should never played, this is, you know, so-and-so or whatever, none of that matters. If Durant wanted to play, and doctors gave him good information, and doctors cleared him to play, then this is just a random accident, as, as honestly most injuries are. And, you know, we can push all that stuff to the side. You know, all credit goes to, to Durant for wanting to, to, to be there for his teammates. In the biggest game of the year, uh, in the biggest moment of the year, he wanted to stand with his brothers and, and help them. And that, to me, is the, the sign of an ultimate teammate. And all this, all this talk about the Warriors' chemistry issues, it, I, I always suspected it was baloney. And, and, and I think last night proved that it was. That even if Durant is intending to leave in the offseason, which who cares right now at this point, even if that was his intent, he was totally invested in this team and wanted to help them achieve their goal and win a third championship. Fortunately for him, he did have a role in helping them get, get to a game six. And Fortunately for the Warriors, they will have another opportunity to extend this series. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So let's talk real briefly about the game. I don't want to spend too I've already spent too much time. I felt like I needed to get those Durant thoughts out. Um, like I said, I do think there are some interesting parallels to, to the Grant Hill situation um, yeah, and even to the Dwight Howard situation. You know, I, I, I think I can tell a few stories on that, um, which maybe I will in the offseason because I, I do think, you know, 
I don't want to belabor it too much, but but there's certainly a, a incongruity or or definitely a, a conflict of interest when a, you know a team's medical staff um, is beholden to the team ultimately, uh, and not maybe not necessarily the player. Um, you know, I would always, if I were advising players and they're facing major injuries, I would always, always, always suggest get your own people. Conf- you know, conf- you know, not that. You know, team medical teams do a good job. I think there's been a lot of progress made on that front, and I don't think the, I don't know if you th- I don't think the Warriors necessarily did anything wrong. We don't know at this point. But whenever a player is facing a major major injury, whenever a player doesn't feel right, they know their bodies best. If they're not quite a hundred percent sure on board with what the medical staff is saying, and even if they are, get a second opinion. You have the money. Get a second opinion and make sure that that you you've got someone who who is beholden to you more than any other interest or doesn't have any other any other interest in the fight. And, and I think that's 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 a big lesson that's honestly been learned in magic history with Grant Hill and Dwight Howard. And maybe to some extent Penny Hardaway. I don't know Penny Hardaway's injury story as well as I know Grant Hill's and, and Dwight Howard's. Um but you know I, I think there's you know I you know honestly like let's 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 make it even more local and again I don't want to belabor this point too much but I applaud Markel Fultz so much for what, what he's what he's done. Um, he is he has gotten and, and again this is I think something else with the Durant issues that we're seeing that played out in, in conversations today. I applaud Markel Fultz for listening to his body when the, when Philadelphia's doctors or whoever was telling him it's mental we're not seeing anything wrong. He believed something was wrong. Like he he couldn't overcome that hurdle. He was like, no, there, there's physically something wrong with me. He sought out a diagnosis. He went to experts. He went to his own doctors, and they found something. And now he can go through the proper course of treatment to to get that fixed. And and we'll see if that ultimately plays out on the court, and and if he can kind of regain what what made him so special coming out of Washington. But you know he got dunked on by a lot of people, criticized by a lot of fans. You know, the the only mention, let's say, of a Magic player in Game of Zones was Barkel Fultz not having confidence to play. It's it's a running joke in that in that web series, which which I enjoy a lot. Um, and he was on the Sixers when they referenced him there. But I I really do applaud the the, the kid and, and and to some extent his team for for going out and trusting his word and his feelings and his understanding of his body to to go out and get a diagnosis that will make him healthy ultimately because Markel Fultz, I can tell, I mean, from, from my interactions with him, from watching him work and watching him, uh, watching his interaction with the team, he wants to play really badly. He really wants to play. And honestly, I, I'm sure if, you know, he went out onto a basketball court and, and, played a, and played a little bit, the Magic's medical staff would clear him. Like, I, it's, not, it's not so much that he's, from, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think if the if he needed to play, if the Magic, you know, felt comfortable playing him, he'd play. You know, he'd be what he was in Philadelphia. He wouldn't be, you know, Markel Fultz, but but he could do that. But I applaud the kid for for having the patience to say, no, I'm going to make sure I'm right, so that when I play, I don't have to come back out, so that when I play, I don't have to be in and out of the lineup or or possibly make things worse. And honestly. That's the approach we should all be applauding. Now it's different when you're in the in the finals, and, and who knows if that when when that's the case. And you know, Fultz wouldn't have played this year because he hadn't played with that team at all. But 
I, I think every player should be applauded for their own approach because ultimately it's their decision. And so I, I think that's important. But, but let's talk about this game a little bit. It was, uh, you know, if not for this Durant thing, it would have been an ugly, you know, kind of, you know, hard-to-watch basketball game in a lot of ways. But the finish turned out to be pretty exciting. Um, you know, Golden State led for most of this game. It's the first time all series that they have led for the majority of the game. And, and honestly, I do believe Durant had a big part to do with that. I do believe that Durant was a key factor in Golden State kind of racing ahead in this game and forcing Toronto to do some different things defensively. They couldn't guard Stephen Curry the same way they did. They couldn't guard Klay Thompson the same way they did because they had to account for Kevin Durant. Um, they also got a lot of really good performances from from their bench, which they haven't been getting this, this season uh, or this series, um, especially from DeMarcus Cousins, 14 points, six rebounds off the bench, six for eight uh, from the floor, had some really big moments for that team, especially working the offensive glass, especially working on the glass, uh, and, and kind of being a, a big presence for the Warriors. But their scoring was all about Steph and Clay. Stephen Curry, 31 points, 10 for 23 shooting. Clay Thompson, 26 points, 9 for 21 shooting. 7 for 13 from beyond the arc. The two combined to go 12 for 27 from beyond the arc. They hit some big shots in the fourth quarter, um, but the game kind of played out, and it just, it's, it, you know, like I said, it, it always felt like Toronto was going to race ahead. But but this was really the first game that Toronto couldn't hit shots. I mean, you look at the three-point comparison. Golden State goes 20 for 42 with Stephen Clay going off. And, and again, I do think Durant had a little bit to do with that, especially early on with Golden State establishing a little bit of a rhythm. And Toronto hitting only eight of 32 three-point shots. This game came down to making threes. Um, and when Toronto got on their roll, when they took the lead by six with about three minutes to go, Kawhi Leonard started hitting shots, hit a couple threes there. Um, he was 9 for 24 for the game, 26 points, 12 rebounds. And, and he did some masterful work on the glass. Six offensive rebounds, 12 rebounds, six assists, but five turnovers. Toronto turned the ball over uh, 13 times, Golden State 15. Toronto made their run, and they were making shots, and it just felt like that was it. But Golden State had that last punch. I mean, I think the one thing we can say about Golden State, even without Durant, if you let them hang around a game, they have the weapons to close it out. They still have the weapons. They still have Steph Curry, who demands your attention. And he tied the game up with about a little bit less than a minute, maybe 45 seconds left in the game. And then it just became a slugfest. Who's, who's going to blink first? And ultimately, it was Toronto that blinked first. Their, their defense was, was solid, but Golden State got the shot that they needed. They got the big shot that they needed to silence the crowd and give themselves the lead. And Toronto was chasing from there. And you know, up, down by one with the final possession, they threw a double team at Kawhi Leonard. He passed it to Van Vliet, and you could maybe sense a little bit of hesitancy. Van Vliet wasn't expecting the ball. He shoveled it to Lowry in the corner. Lowry took a three. Draymond Green actually blocked it a little bit, and the shot went no good, and Golden State survived 106-105. to 105. This was a, a, a really kind of gritty game in the second half, and that, that's the kind of game Toronto likes to play, certainly over Golden State, but Golden State's certainly capable of playing these games, and, and this game should remind everyone that, yes, Toronto is still probably the better team, and I still believe that Toronto is going to win this series. Uh, whether it's done in Oakland or Toronto, I, I don't know. Because I still think, especially without Durant now, Golden State's margin for error is smaller. 
Toronto did not play a good game. This was Toronto's worst game of this series. And they still only lost by one. They still had a shot at the end of the game. They still had the lead with about with three minutes to go. They had a six-point lead with three minutes to go. So Golden State's still the one chasing. And you got to know that Toronto's going to shift some things defensively. And without Durant there, that, that there's a little bit of cushion gone. And now someone else for Golden State has to step up again. You know, in this game, Toronto didn't get the same kind of support, maybe, that they're used to getting. You know, Danny Green missed all four of his three-pointers, had some good looks. Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet have had fantastic series. They were 8 for 15 from the floor combined for 26 points. Really, Toronto didn't get the, the supremely good effort that they're used to from Kawhi Leonard, 9 for 24, or Pascal Siakam at 6 for 15. And so the question then is, can Golden State do it again? You know, I hate to belabor this point, but I do think Durant made a huge difference. I think his presence set a tone early for Golden State. They were able to hit a couple threes, see some baskets going going early, and gain some confidence. And I think that helped carry Golden State throughout the game. And even when they got down, you know, it, it took one shot going in, one tough shot going in, whether it was Clay, whether it was Steph, whoever, to kind of get them into their flow. And what Toronto's done so well this series is disrupt Golden State's flow. This is very much a rhythm team. They dictate the tempo to you. And when they weren't able to do that in the fourth quarter, they lost the lead. And then when they got it back, when they when they scratched out that one shot they needed, everything changed. And obviously Golden State was able to get the win. For game six, I would say watch really the first six minutes. If Toronto is able to disrupt Golden State in the first six minutes of that game and have control over the game in the first six minutes, I think it's going to be very tough for Golden State to win. I think we will know in the first five or six minutes, even if Golden State's down by a little bit, I think we'll know in the first five or six minutes if Golden State's there to play and can force a game seven. But I, I, I do think Toronto's still a little bit too much for them. And I don't think is going to have another poor game like this. And Toronto's proven that they're going to get consistent help for them. Whether it's Gasol, whether it's Lowry, whether it's Ibaka, whether it's Van Vliet, they're going to get the help for them. You know, I expect Golden State to fight to the end. Um, you know, uh, they, they had a lot of reasons to, to quit in this one. The Durant injury in the second quarter, uh, going down by six in the fourth. But as, as Rudy Tomjanovich, unfortunately... Reminded us in 1995, never question the heart of a champion. The Warriors are not going to go down without a fight. The Raptors are not going to blow them out to win, win this championship. But obviously, after losing Game 5 with a chance to clinch at home, doubt might begin to creep in. And the Warriors exploit doubt. So again, those first six minutes on Thursday are going to be absolutely vital for this team. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Before this episode gets too far off the rails, I think I've, I think I've gone well over my time talking about Game 5 here. Um, the Magic did hold a couple of really big workouts at the Amway Center on Monday, and and I wanted to you know I wanted to make sure I got this episode in, and I apologize for it coming to your feeds late. I wanted to make sure I got this in so that um, I could make I could talk about these two players. Um, the Orlando Magic, I think, were, were fortunate in a lot of ways to get Nikhil Alexander Walker of Virginia Tech and Tyler Hero of Kentucky in their building to work out in the same group uh, as they prepare for the NBA draft. Um, as as I'll explain. Uh, coming up here on the locked on NBA on the locked on NBA mock draft, um, and as as I, I I explained on on the website with, with the with the fan sided mock draft, um, I am really high on Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, most mock drafts that I've seen have the Magic taking either Nikhil Alexander Walker or Tyler Hero, with some Romeo Langford sprinkled in there as well if he slips down to them. Uh, but I think for the for the most part, if the draft goes as we all expect. The 16th pick is going to be a prime place to get sort of a, a specialist kind of player, a guy who, who fills a clear need as a three-point shooter, and both Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Tyler Hero fit that bill. It, it, it's, I think, very easy to kind of fit both of them somewhat into a box. Um, you kind of look at Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and you see this kind of you know somewhat wiry wing guard that you know, can work a little bit off the dribble, is, is still developing, I think, as a spot-up shooter. He's not an elite three-point shooter, but his percentages were very, very good. Uh, and he's got some other aspects to his game that he can continue to grow. Um, he has some defensive versatility, which is which is something that, that he touts. But it, it's hard, I think, to necessarily put him completely in a box. And, and obviously, even though he's shown a ton of versatility already, he has a lot to prove. Uh, I don't feel so. I don't feel like I got to prove anything to anyone in terms of uh, who I am. It's just kind of clarifying uh, just in my play. Um, just here to show them why I can help them win. Not here to show them uh, I can do certain things that uh, is, I would say, talk around the world. Um, a lot of NBA teams don't listen to media hype and what's going on. Um, so they're just more concerned on who I am as a person, who I am as a player, and I try to show that today. In that way, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is trying to break a sort of mold. I mean, I, th- I think it's easy to sit here and say that Nikhil Alexander-Walker is sort of the, the classic, at least for NBA draft circles, the jack-of-all-trades, master of none. You know, he was a 39% shooter in college, uh, playing with a little bit more uh, of, of an offensive role last year for Virginia Tech. Uh, and thrived in that environment, but no one would consider him a you know knockdown shooter or one of the best shooters in this draft. He was about a 75% free throw shooter, which is good, but not at the sort of elite level that you would expect for guys who translate to the NBA line. He is solid attacking off the off the dribble, a little bit better than I think people give him credit for. But you know, again, running in the in the as the main creator in an offense. Not a great passer, not a great playmaker, and still learning how to read pick and roll. So you're not going to put the ball in his hands necessarily. And so, if he's not a great spot up threat, if he's not, if he's not, if he's still a developing spot up threat, if he's still a developing ball handler, um, you know, what else does he give you? Well, he's a solid defender, I would say. I mean, I think he's got great length to be a good defender, and I think he's got all the tools to ultimately be a good defender. But like most young players, his discipline is probably a little bit lacking, and. 
you know, he, you know, kind of goes for some of the glamour stats like blocks and steals. So there's still a lot of, you know, he's obviously a sophomore and they're all, all these kids are young. They still got a long way to go, but he's obviously still got a lot to develop. I still think he's someone that could contribute pretty quickly, but you're not going to be able to run him off screens like you do with Terrence Ross or anything like that. He's going to have to, you know, his game's going to be a little bit more nuanced and he's going to have to have the ball in his hands a little bit to, to make an impact at the next level. Um, but, you know, he's certainly athletic enough, although I wouldn't say he has top-end athleticism. He's a good enough shooter, so he's got that going for him. And, and I think that he has the tools defensively. So he's intriguing for sure. He's, he's someone that certainly can continue to improve and continue to get better as the year goes on. But he has to prove all that all over again with every practice, with every workout, with, with every opportunity. And, and you can kind of hear from, from what he said that he kind of hears some of that outside noise. He kind of hears some of the questions that people have for him. And, you know, he has the confidence to go out there and know that the NBA teams probably aren't listening to it. Although I would, I would certainly argue that if, that if we observe and notice something, NBA teams observe and notice it too, although they may not be talking as loud about it as we might hear on, on podcast. But he definitely feels like he has to kind of break his own mold, that he has to prove who he is and, and not fit into how others perceive them. And I think that's a lot of the battle, perhaps, of, of these mid-round picks, these mid-first-round picks, um, that, you know, again, the Magic haven't drafted in this range a lot, but you're looking at guys that aren't necessarily going to be starters in their careers. You're looking at guys who aren't necessarily going to... Uh, be everything you want. There, there are a lot more misses at this level of the draft. And so it's about finding guys that fit the right role for your team and can, can fill that role. And so, you, you know, you need complement. You need to be searching somewhat for complementary players unless you're taking a big swing. And Nikhil Alexander-Walker isn't a big swing. You know, I think he, he can be a little bit more. I mean, I think he can be kind of a low-level starter, a spot starter if needed, ultimately. Um, but he can still be a very valuable player, and, and the work that he puts into filling whatever role that the team that drafts him has is, is going to be key. For Tyler Hero, breaking the mold is about something different. Um, Tyler Hero, probably one of the best shooters in this draft. Uh, certainly Cameron Johnson, North Carolina, who, who I believe I talked about earlier on the podcast, uh, on, a, on a previous episode of Lockdown Magic uh, last week, one of the best shooters per, at, by percentages in the nation for, for the NCAA. Uh, Tyler Hero is certainly up among them. Uh, a great slasher and cutter. He knows how to use cuts to get to the basket, to, to free himself up, and to get his shot off. You know, unlike, an, unlike Alexander Walker, who, who, could, who can hit shots, but that isn't the main part of this game, Tyler Hero is a three-point specialist. He can hit a lot of threes in a hurry and get hot. If the Magic are looking for someone to be a sort of straight replacement of Terrence Ross, Tyler Hero can do that. He can be that kind of J.J. Redick guy. And, and, and I think it's interesting that, you know, we asked both Alexander Walker and Hero who they kind of emulated as shooters. They both said Devin Booker and C.J. McCollum, which, which I think is interesting that, that those players are, are guys that people are emulating a lot. Uh, but Hero also mentioned J.J. Redick, and, and, and that would be a good person for him to idolize and for him to learn from and watch and study because that's kind of the role that he's going to have to play both on offense and defense. Because the biggest question for Tyler Hero, a question that Hero uh, acknowledged during his interview, a big question for Tyler Hero is 
whether he can overcome his physical limitations defensively. Hero measured with the fourth shortest wingspan at the NBA Draft Combine, and, and we all joke about the magic and their obsession with length. That would seem to cross Hero off the list. And Hero understands that. He, 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 he mentioned specifically, I don't have a long wingspan. I have to overcome that. I have to prove to teams that I can play defensively. And that's, that's a big admission for him, honestly. That's, that's huge that he would even admit that, that he understands that he has to put in that work. Obviously, the margin for error is smaller, but, but you can be good defensively without that. Now, that's not his primary skill. That's not who he is naturally. But if you're willing to put in the work and willing to learn and understand, Steve Clifford will play you. Because ultimately, hero shooting is what makes him extremely valuable. And he might be the very best shooter this draft has to offer. Yeah, um, I think I can uh, definitely step into a role like that and be able to stretch the floor and you know, make defenses key on me and not you know, allow easy you know, three-pointers. So I think I can definitely step into a role like that. And, and that last part, I think, is the biggest key about drafting at 16. Yes, you hope that the, one of these players eventually becomes a star. You hope that one of these players can develop into more than, than what the pundits think or what, what people think. But ultimately, that the first and primary goal is finding a guy who can fit in, who can contribute something to your team as they develop, and can ultimately play and accept the role. My, my big impression on Nikel Alexander-Walker and Tyler Hero is they both understand this. They're both eager to, to get in with their team and, and dive into the development that it'll take for them to be the best players they can be, but also to fit in and play a role that they're both capable of doing so. That they are malleable and and different enough that no matter where they get picked, they will find a place to make things work. Now, there are still big questions about both of them. I think Alexander Walker's shooting is solid, and I think he'll be good, but can he be an elite shooter? Can he be an elite kind of 3 and D type player? I think that's, that's ultimately what the league sees for him with, with a little bit of pick and roll sprinkled in there. Tyler Hero, can he overcome his lack of length, his lack of size, to be a good defender while still providing the knockdown three-point shooting he did at Kentucky last year? The spurt, the spurt ability of three-point shooting that, that he provided throughout the season for the Wildcats. I think those are all legitimate questions. And part of the risk and part of the reward of drafting these guys Obviously, uh, you know, mock drafts are mock drafts. Who knows if they're right? Who knows if, if the way we predict things, the way we project things, is anywhere close to right? I picked Nikel Alexander-Walker in my fan-sided mock draft over Tyler Hero because I, I believe that the defensive versatility is a little bit more valuable for this Magic team. And that I think his three-point shooting will come along enough that he can, he can make those shots. But obviously as well, there's risk here. And the Magic got to see both of these players go sort of head-to-head to be a little bit competitive, to, to go through shooting drills together, to see them side-by-side, side, to see how they work side-by-side. Side. And, and both Hero and Nikhil Alexander-Walker confirmed that they met individually with Jeff Weltman and John Hammond over the weekend. Alexander-Walker was in town since Friday, uh, met with them Saturday. Tyler Hero arrived Sunday, had dinner with them Sunday. So the Magic got to know them as people as much as they got to see them on the court and 
you know, a lot of a lot of the purpose of these workouts is to to get information on guys that that you may not be able to draft or, or may want to keep tucked away in the database. Um, but it's also to see how coachable these guys are. You know, you put them through a drill. Um, uh, you know, a coach putting them through a drill rather than a trainer putting them through a drill. A coach putting them through a drill. How are they going to accept coaching if they do a drill incorrectly, or, or they need, or they have a question about how to do a drill? How do they engage in the process of learning of of being coached? That's actually a huge part of these individual workouts, more so than how they actually perform in the individual workouts because they've seen them play. They know that they'll perf- they know how they'll perform. And again, drills are also specifically tailored to the team's offense. Um, you know, you see guys work on drills going through motions of what they'll be expected to do within the offense. So you do get to see a little bit of fit and whether they can accomplish and pick up concepts quickly. That's a huge part of these individual workouts. And Orlando got to see both Alexander Walker and Hero together, which I think is a huge advantage because they, they will be probably picking between these two guys, if not a few others. And so that, that big question remains. How do these guys break their mold? How do these guys find who they individually are? They've got their game tape, which, which shows a lot. Now they've been in practice. Now they've been in a, in a workout. Now they've talked with the team. And a lot of that file is complete on both of these key players. And they clearly seem up for their challenge. Sorry for going a little bit longer today, especially for a kind of midday episode, so I apologize for that. Um, uh, but um, but uh, I thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Magic and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me on Twitter at philiprr__omd. And of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. That's going to do it for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic. This has been Philip Rosson Wright. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.